Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. Welcome to The Sale Ring. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And uh, we're back. I got yeah. another episode. This one, this one's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun and yeah. interesting because we're going to talk about my favorite topic in the whole world: auctions. Auctions. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do love the auction business, and we got a great auctioneer and a great friend to both of us uh, in the studio with us today. Uh, Mr. Corky Hurd mm-hmm. is joining us from Clinton, Oklahoma. Corky, how are you? I am doing well. We, uh, the weather is cool here for Western Oklahoma and we've been getting rain. So everything is grand. You guys have needed some rain out there for quite a while. We have, we've been extremely dry and, uh, the last, uh, couple of weeks we've been getting showers and, uh, it's awesome. So, uh, keeps going. Uh, it won't be so much for the wheat farmers that are trying to get wheat cut and get out of the field and hay, Mm -hmm. but, uh, We've needed it desperately. So with all of the drought conditions, western Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and and farther on west, you know, into, uh, I think, Colorado, New Mexico, some of those states have, have been experiencing it also. Um, how has that changed the, the land, uh, farm, and ranch sales environment? Um, prices remaining strong, uh, more properties coming on the market, but... What are you seeing out there that maybe is is being driven or stimulated by the drought? You know, uh, it's um, earlier before it started raining a little bit. Um, you know, it was a little bit more of attitude, and which I understand with uh, farmers and ranchers. Uh, I mean, it was dry, and um, you know they were having concerns again about hay and uh, all of this, and so. Uh, We had a couple of sales that I felt like were off just a little bit, Uh, not much, uh, but just a little bit. And uh, but then we had a few others that uh, just were barn burners. And so uh, it's been a very sporadic market, what I would call it. Um, What we've experienced the last few years has been out of the norm and it's been good. And so far, it's uh, it's remained strong. It really has. But um there, it was starting to, I mean, it was really getting dry and it was really starting to wear on people's uh, nerves and their, you know, thought processes going forward. And, but uh, we've gotten rain now and um, everything is extremely green. It's been cooler. Uh, you know, they're getting a lot of hay down. And so uh, things are looking good right now. And so hopefully it uh, continues on. Well, you know, in the auction business, we've always talked about timing for for one. If you're going to sell uh, harvest equipment or if you're going to sell farmland in general, don't do it right in the middle of harvest when um, the farmers, the the actual operators are at their busiest time during the year or when they're trying to get the fields prepped and planted. But there's lull periods out there where you can get their attention. And those are great times, you know, maybe early in the spring as they're preparing for some things, they can go to an auction. They can attend those and, and uh, kind of have a methodical purchase out there. They're not distracted. So 
I guess where I'm going with that is there's a lot of psychology in, in this business. And I wouldn't chalk everything up to impulse buying. But I, I do think, especially as Americans, we're, we, the consumers in this country are, are, are impulse buyers. And, and sometimes if things kind of strike you, uh, as you, you know, I don't know, tickle your fancy. That mm-hmm. kind of sounds yeah. weird to say it like that. But the, it, it's just I, I was in the mood, you know, to, yeah. to buy that property. And I had the means to buy it. So I bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do think that... Um, Adverse conditions like droughts, severe droughts that you've been going through, it just has a negative effect on everybody's morale in the communities, and it, it just kind of turns them off to really doing anything right now because they, they're just not overly optimistic about the business. Yeah, and they don't want to pour more money into it later than they have to today, right? So, Exactly. you yeah. got to get them in the mood and in the right frame of mind, mm-hmm. and, and so those kind of... Um, the climate conditions out there, I think, can just put a dark cloud over everybody for a while. And, and uh, it's hard to boost morale and boost spirits in that kind of a, a situation. Yeah. And it's amazing uh, when it has been dry for a while like that. And then you get uh, a couple of little rains like that and how it changes everybody's thought process and their perspective and just their attitude. And, and you're exactly right in this uh, attitude is a lot. And, um, uh, Farmers and ranchers uh, overall, I think, have to be uh, very optimistic because, uh, you know, they plant a crop and in the hopes that it's uh, all going to go well and rain and they're not going to get hailed out or, you know, other type of storms and all. And so they're, you know, optimistic that they're going to grow that crop and bring it in to harvest and make money on it. And so when you have negative factors affecting that, like drought, uh, it can wear on their attitude, and it's amazing what a little rain can do to change those attitudes and help them be uh, more optimistic and have a better outlook. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, just little things like a, a good rain and, and a promise of some continued, you know, rain and moisture in that area can bring people back out uh, into the uh, into the buying environment and, and get them excited about being in that business again. So. While we're on that, uh, while we're on that topic, let's talk a little bit about the method then, because that's what led to the show today. Is mm-hmm. we're seeing um, a percentage of land uh, that's starting to come on the market. Some of that, I think, seasonality. You know, we're we're just now kind of enter, uh, ending the spring here, starting to get into the summer months. But uh, over the past several months, there's been a considerable amount of land auctions that have taken place, and. You and I had a great conversation about multi-parcel bidding platforms, and that's uh, kind of one of the topics of the show today that we want to talk about, mm-hmm. is when and where those can be advantageous for the person that should matter the most in this equation is the seller. That's the, the person that's divesting of uh, land that, you know, in some cases they've been accumulating for 20 to 50 plus years, or maybe it's been in the family for 50 to 100 years. It's it's a major asset, and it's very personal, uh, very tangible, and and uh, it, they, they, they want the best possible outcome. So Corky and I were having a conversation, not just about multi-parcel bidding uh, platforms, but the overuse of it. Oh, okay. Where, you know, the consideration is, are we trying to apply too much Make yeah. it, because they can be a little complicated and, and it can, it can, it changes, um, especially in these kind of conditions where you don't need a lot of complication. You need something that's very simplified because it's 
the business is already complicated by a 50-year drought out there. You know, they're going through a, a major drought condition, and you want to make sure that you're not just overcomplicating and, and you're trying to, uh, to squeeze too much, too much juice out of the, uh, out of the berry um, and, and just make it very advantageous for people and, and very simplistic uh, for them to purchase. Does that make sense, Court? It does. It, um, you know, the multi-par uh, can work really well, and we've used it in the past, and it's been extremely effective. Uh, but there's definitely a learning curve for those that have not been involved in a multi-par and are not very seasoned in that. And even sometimes they've been to one and, uh, you know, they've had uh, maybe it was done poorly uh, or is not explained well to them. And so they have kind of a negative uh, attitude towards it. And so uh, I think you're right. I think uh, multi-par in the right circumstances can be a very effective tool. But uh, sometimes that tool's been overused or it's been used by auctioneers that don't fully understand the multi-par system and how to work it and how to explain it to, uh, you know, the buyers out there. And a lot of times, uh, you know, and you and I have worked several multi-par sales together and we've got one coming up that we're going to work together. But when it comes to a multi-par, I think um, what is the, you know, the key to it is uh, is not so much the auctioneer, but is having very competent ringmen that are out there working the crowd and really understand the system and how it works to uh, help those bidders, uh, you know, understand it and be confident in bidding. And that um, we've seen a few of those sales where we've had uh, had some ringmen that have, have worked one and they they didn't quite understand and, and they can mess it up pretty quick. I'm sorry. I'm listening I'm to everything you say. I didn't mean to laugh there's, in the middle of that. Sean's playing with a pen. There's a circus going on <laughs> in the studio while you're talking right now. So, but, okay. But you are you are a hundred percent in tune with that. And and Corky, you and I have talked about this a zillion times. We we always have to keep the best interest of that seller out front. Yeah. And as a professional consultant. You know, as a as an auctioneer, but more importantly, a consultant. If you have years of experience, you have many auctions under your belt. You've seen things work. You've seen things not work. Um, you're in an industry where there's not really any guarantees out there, so you need to leverage that experience to try to mitigate risk. Right? As a consultant, we have to always keep that seller's uh, needs out front. Well, what auctioneers, in my opinion, have done is they've used the multi-parcel bidding platform as a uh, a point of differentiation for their company. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, right. we, we can do this and our competitors don't do this. Well, that's great. That's that's great. But are you trying to sell me um, a pair of shoes when I need a boot, Yeah, you know, right now? It, it, just because you offer that doesn't mean that that is the best scenario for what I'm trying to achieve right now. And uh, we have a tendency to force that square peg in that round hole. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I think um, with the advent of the online bidding platforms that have come into play now, that uh, that's even more relevant today than it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when um, you didn't have the uh, availability of say an online bidding platform where you can sell individual parcels 
and link them together where they all will close simultaneously. So a person can bid on multiple parcels, just like a, uh, a multi-par. And so uh, it has changed. And so I think you need to definitely look at that. And, uh, you know, you've got to keep in mind what is best for your client. And I think sometimes as auctioneers, you're exactly right. We're trying to differentiate ourselves from our competitors or, you know, and we're trying to win the business and, and we're offering something that maybe is not in their best interest just to win that business. So for clarification, anybody that's listening to the podcast today and said, well, what, what, what is multi-parcel bidding platforms? What is the difference? I understand offering something that's been subdivided or, um, subsected into individual tracks, smaller units, but what is multi-parcel bidding? And really the key point of differentiation from, and let's just say hypothetically, you have five, you have a farm and you have carved that into five individual tracks and you can offer those tracks, one, two, three, four, five. Somebody sitting in the audience says, well, I don't, I can't use track number two if I can't get tracks three and four to go with it. Let me say that a different way. I don't want to be put into a position where I end up having to be, I'm the high bidder on tracks three and four, but track number two went way beyond my means where it doesn't make sense financially for me to purchase it. And now I'm stuck with three and four. My intent was to buy two, three, and four together or to not buy any of it. So what a multi-parcel bidding platform allows you to do is to create a combination of those individual tracks. When you can create a combination, now you're in a position where you can only bid on that that component, that element of two, three, and four together or nothing. So whatever right. the individual bids are, let's say they're $50,000 a piece on two, 50000 on three, 50000 on four. If you were to add those together, you're at 50, 50, 50, and it's $150,000, and you say, I will give $160,000 to own all three of those tracks and you're bidding in competition of people that want to bid on the individual tracks or, or a different combination that would include two, three or four. So that is really the only difference. And there's a fine line. I would say a very, very thin fine line between the, the, the need to utilize multi-parcel bidding platforms and the need to just say, we have a five track auction. Yeah. And we're going to listen, if you you want to be the high bidder on two, three and four, for most instances out here, it it would be advantageous uh, in a lot of circumstances for the seller. If the arrangement was you need to be the high bidder on two, three and four, you're you're going to stimulate the uh, the the competition in the room to have to step up and uh, you're you're making it. uh, Is there a little bit more risk for the person that's bidding on that? that wants two, three, and four, they don't want anything. Well, you don't really have that opportunity in this auction. So yes, there's there's a little more risk. But if they want to buy property at the end of the day, step up, buy property, be more competitive on track number two, and you're going to own all three of those, right? right. So take us through, what what's your thoughts about what I just said? I would love to get your take on that. Well, I think you're exactly right. And so you know, there's been instances, let's say you've got those five tracks and one track has a, uh, maybe has improvements on it, a home, some barns, some nice pens, something like that. And if a guy comes in and bids on that 
and uh, has it in combination, well, it may uh, may affect that track and it actually bring less than if it was a standalone track where somebody just wanted the house and pins and, you know, say it was 20 acres. And, um, you know, if that was sold separately, it's going to bring more money than it would if it was in the combination of that. And uh, so if, if it's able to be bid up higher as an individual track, then it's going to be tough for that other guy to come in and, and sweep that back into a combination bid. And so I, I think you've got to, you've really got to look at it and you've got to study it and understand the process to know if it's going to be the best thing for, you know, your seller. See, that's, that's what I was trying to get at. That's the root of the conversation because we, we sometimes say, well, we can do multi-parcel auction. It's, it's not a question of whether you can do multi-parcel. It's a question of whether is it, is it more advantageous to have a multi-parcel auction for this particular client with this type of property in this particular scenario. Yeah, or, it's not can right. you, it's should you. That's exactly yeah. right. That's the way to say it, Trini, is it's not can you do it as an auctioneer. It's like should you be applying this? And I would argue that we overcomplicate. Mm-hmm. We come into small markets where we have three or four farms, and instead of saying, hey, we're having there's these four farms are going to be held up here at auction uh, at this date, time, and location. We're going to put them all up on the board. We're going to open the bidding. The bidding will remain open on those tracks, and when we close this auction, we'll close it all simultaneously. And, uh, you know, for the people in the room say, well, you know, what happens if I want to just buy farms three and four? You need to be the high bidder on three and the high bidder on four. Get in there and bid. Get in there and compete. That's why it's an auction. What happens if I get outbid on four? Then you just own three. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you uh, just you got need, outbid. That's you, how You may need work. to open your pocketbook yeah. a little wider because yeah. that's how an auction works is if you get outbid, you don't get to take it home. Somebody wanted it more than you. Yeah. So but. there's some instances I've seen where we have been in true multi-parcel auctions and people had the intent to buy three tracks together. One of those tracks was very desirable, and I'm thinking of an auction in the last couple of years where this is this is the case. This is a real-life situation. One of the tracks was very desirable, and the individual bidding on that one track was just astronomical. It just, it, it just elevated the bidding, the, the price point on that, to where it, it was ridiculous. It did not make sense to purchase it at that price. What that was is a, a few people in the room that had uh, some old money, family money, and they were determined that the other team was not going to get to own that track, and, and they just blew that one out of the park. The person that was bidding on that in a combination ended up not being able to keep that one tract in their three or four track combination. There, there are three or four other parcels. I uh, forget now, you know, there was more than one. There was two or three other parcels, and they were trying to put, let's say, track two with it. Track two just goes off the charts. Mm-hmm. They still ended up buying the other three tracks or the other two tracks, whatever, whatever it was. So what I'm... What I'm saying is the multi-parcel bidding platform does not solve against that where somebody can be that rigid and say, if I can't do this, then I don't want any of it. There are scenarios where you come into the auction with that preconceived notion that this is it's, it's all or nothing, and you end up buying two-thirds of what you thought you were going to buy. Yeah. Uh, right. It, 
it just, you know, again, we're, we're impulse buyers. You know, we, we come in there with a battle plan, and sometimes uh, the, the, the enemy attacks from the left instead of the right. We have to change our battle plan on the fly. That's, that's how business works. Right. You know, and, and years ago, and there's still auctioneers that do that, you have, uh, you know, a couple of different pieces, and you sell them individually, and then you pause the bidding, and then you do it all together as one uh, whole package. And you have a couple of bidders that just sit back. They never bid. They wait till it gets combined together, and then they start bidding. Yeah. And it gets up just a little bit, and they buy it. Where those individual bidders could have bought the individual parcels and spent a little bit more money, but they didn't have that option. And so, you know, a multi-par was kind of the the next best thing to do it. And so that's kind of what happened. And and then along comes the internet with online bidding. Mm-hmm. and you can sell those parcels individually and link them together where they will all remain open and they'll close simultaneously. And I've had this happen. I just had a, a, a five-parcel sale that we divided up, and we had one guy that kept bidding on all of the different tracks, and in the very end, he only got two tracks, but he ran the bids up on all the others way up. And I mean, it was a hugely successful sale and, uh, you know, other bidders kept bidding and, uh, I mean, it was great. And it just kept pushing it up, pushing it up. And I think if it would have been a multi-parcel, um, he would have, uh, scooped it all together and, uh, it wouldn't have been as effective. And so, but that's uh, the thing with the internet and that, uh, bidding platform that allows you to do that. And, uh, you know, we've had guys that have bid on different farms and they get outbid and then they look at one over here and it's still, uh, you know, what they consider reasonable. And so then they jump on it and the price goes up on it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, it doesn't really matter how it sells, but it's, is that what was best for your client? And that's what you've got to look at. And, uh, you know, you're not going to hit every single one of them exactly perfect, uh, sometimes you might think that a multi-par is the best thing for it, and through the process, you learn that really wasn't it, and you kind of underestimated a certain track of land, or there's, uh, you know, reasons there that uh, beyond our knowledge of why that uh, track brings a whole lot of money, kind of like you were talking about some uh, competitive bidding between families that don't want another family to have it or something, and, uh, you know, you really don't know that dynamics before the auction, and so uh, there's a lot of it, uh, like you said earlier, a lot of psychology that goes into this. And But, you know, really looking at it, thinking about it, and keeping in mind what is best for my client. And our client is the seller. And yeah. that's what we've got to keep in mind. That's the part we can't lose sight of. And, and to make sure that you learn from those experiences and then you carry that experience back into the next seller. And say, well, let me right. let me cost you about this. We had a multi-parcel auction um, not not too long ago, and uh, there was a home track. There was a house in it, and smartly, uh, the house tracked. Uh, there was a, a large buyer that wanted to. Once the price got up somewhat, you know, semi-sufficiently on the land, uh, that home was a. $250,000 home was at like fifty or $60,000. It was not at a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He threw it, he grabbed it, and put it into the land tracks. Mm-hmm. He just rolled it in there. And what he was really doing was he 
Because now the aggregate price, when you look at, well, how much do I need to raise the bid on the home to break that out? It starts going up exponentially. It, um, it's it's right. much larger than it would be as an individual tract. And it was forcing, <clears throat> it was forcing people to, uh, to have to make a very strong purchasing decision to pull that home back out, to break that combination up. Um, so he, uh, he, you know, that's, that is a trap that can happen sometimes uh, for the, the practitioner, for the auctioneer, and for the seller that you would take to the next auction and say, by the way, you know, this home, uh, we may want to keep it as a standalone track, which means it can't be included in any combinations. The home and the 5 or 15 or 25 acres is you're bidding on it individually, but you can bid on any of the other land components in combination if you want. Right. Yeah, and that makes it bring what it needs to bring. I just think, you you know, when we go back to uh, simplification, there's an auctioneer that uh, is a very good friend, and and he's uh, a very professional. You know, that company's been in business 50 years up in in, uh, Ohio. He started running into, in his land auctions, because I asked him why he changed over to this tactic, and he said, well, we like to... We like to have a first round of bidding and then let people create combinations of tracks. It works well. Now, let me uh, let me let me tell you first. He's in an area where their farmland brings ten to twenty thousand dollars per acre. Yeah, he, he it's a very um, uh, rich farmland environment that he sells agricultural farms in. And what was happening is everybody was waiting on the combinations on the back is the participation level in the first round. They wouldn't get the rocket off the launch pad. Mm-hmm. They, they just sat and nibble on it instead of actually getting in aggressively bidding and placing bids in the first round. And the tactic, which, um, you know, you have to measure whether this would work in your, in your area that you operate in, in your environment, is he, uh, he said, okay, you either have to be the high bidder or the runner-up bidder to get to participate in the in second round. round. Yeah. So yeah. he's creating yeah. exclusivity in that second round. And believe it or not, the desired effect is exactly what he was after is now all of a sudden in round one, they're sitting and they're competing mm-hmm. against each other. It brings a, a handsome price. And then for the bigger farmers that intend to buy the property, now the on the individual tracks, the high bidder and the runner-up bidder can create combinations of those tracks, and, and they can proceed, and the rest of them have to sit on the sideline um, and, yeah. and eat popcorn. So, not that there's anything wrong with popcorn. I like popcorn. But no. uh, you're working for that seller, and, and that strategy, he says, has served him well. Well, and I think that comes back to... Uh, you know, kind of what we were talking about, what's best for your seller and really looking at that and analyzing it and then continuing to learn. Um, you know, you said that just a minute ago, but uh, you learn something off of one sale and then, you know, how do you modify it? How do you change that the next time? Yeah. I mean, I know every time we do an auction, whether it's live or whether it's online, Afterwards, as a team, we meet together and we kind of analyze that. What could we have done different? What what could make that sale better? And, you know, my wife, uh, Missy, she's always going, you're never satisfied. And mm-hmm. it's not that I'm not satisfied, but I always want to explore and be open to a different way of doing it. Um, yeah. And I think too many times as auctioneers, um, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the auction process was basically the same thing. And then 
now in our changing world with online bidding and different platforms and different things, we've got to look at it and keep uh, evaluating our processes, what we do, uh, what maybe works. And, you know, it's just like you said with that house as an example. Okay, how many times do you see auctioneers? Well, we're doing a multi-par, and every track is a multi-par. Mm-hmm. Well, who says that it has to be that way? Maybe you have one track that is not included in the multi-par, and it's selling by itself, and the other four tracks or five are multi-par, or whatever combination, whatever's going to work best for your seller. And that's what we've got to analyze and think about. And I think as an auctioneer, you know, as we know, it's not just about the bid calling. It's about being a good businessman or woman and, you know, looking for what is the best method for your seller. And that's what we've got to keep in mind. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, that's a great segue. You talked a little bit about the online bidding platforms. Let's let's hear from our sponsors real quick. We come back, we're going to talk about online auctions and uh, kind of where this industry may be headed, even with multi-parcel auctions. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? UnitedCountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to UnitedCountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday, so register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com, the way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. We're in the studio. We're talking with Corky Hurd out of Clinton, Oklahoma. Corky's been a professional auctioneer and uh, uh, for a lot of years and conducts a lot of land auctions. We're talking about multi-parcel auctions and the use. And right before the break, he had mentioned um, online auctions and, and the online component, which has dramatically shifted you know, the, the auction industry over the last 15-plus years. People just love the expediency, the the ease of use and the notifications on their tablet or their smartphone that, hey, it's your turn to bid or this auction's getting ready to run out in a few minutes. And it, uh, it saves a lot of travel, 
um, you know, saves a, a lot of just undue pressure as a buyer that wants to buy something that may be either, you know, three miles or three counties or three states away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can they can participate from a, a mobile or device or their laptop. So let's talk a little bit about that, Quirky. Let's talk about multi-parcel auctions and, and maybe some of the strengths, but also the weaknesses of the online bidding platforms. Okay. Well, I- you know, uh, it's there are a few programs out there that um, that are online only multi-parcel, but it's extremely difficult, yeah. and uh, it's kind of a, a hard, confusing thing. And and so I think um, for us, when we do something like that, we do them in in multiple parcels, but we link all of those tracks together, and they remain open until all bidding ceases. And so that allows someone to bid on one or two parcels. And if they get outbid, they can rebid again, or they can say, you know, man, that's gotten too high for me. I think I'm going to jump over to this other track and bid on it. And it's working really well. And I think, um, you know, that, uh, as far as the online portion of it, uh, I think that's what, uh, what I like about it and uh, what uh, really works. I think what's interesting about it, you know, early in the show, we were talking just a little bit about um, sometimes uh, having to uh, schedule your auctions where you don't want to be right in the middle of harvest or hay season or something like that. And with uh, online, you can have people that are sitting in their combine and Mm -hmm. still bidding on a piece of property. And, uh, they like that. Uh, I sold one a while back and the guys, uh, bought it and he was working cattle the whole time and he never quit working. He would watch his deal and a ding and he'd bid again and keep working cattle. And, uh, he loved it. And, uh, so it does have advantages and then sometimes there are disadvantages too. So, well, the, the speed and the ease of use, as you pointed out is uh, everybody's going to, the convenience factor is what everybody's Mm -hmm. after. They, they want it more convenient, but one of the, one of the, you know, challenges out there obviously is where true multi-parcel auctions allow you to create custom combinations of tracks, Mm -hmm. five tracks, 10, 50 or a hundred tracks in this auction. And, you may say, I want to buy 81 through 89, those, those number of tracks. I want to buy track 81, 2, 3, all the way up to 89 together as one combination. And then track number 80 or 81 gets way too high, and you say, well, pull that out 82 through 89. I want to mm-hmm. keep that in a combination. Those kind of automated, th- those bidding platforms, the complexities of that um, and, and allowing people to participate at that level without some interaction from a professional said, now, before you do that, you know, or uh, have you considered this? You had also been on these other tracks. If that combination over here is broken up, you're back in the lead. Yeah. You know, on these tracks, even if you don't change your bid, you're still the individual track buyer. Uh, it was put in a combination. It took you out from a bigger combination, but if nobody bids on track 20, you know, over here by itself and that combination that it's in right now is broken up. You're still back in the lead on that as an individual. Um, that kind of that kind of communication is really difficult um, for, for people that are novice or over the over the, the computer, you know, to try to communicate right. that with. 
So what I like about what you said and the, and the platform, for example, Hybid that we use, where you can have five or ten tracks or whatever the amount of tracks are, you link all of them together, meaning that none of those will close until all of the bidding has ceased on the other tracks. All of them, yeah. Yeah, once everybody's finished bidding and no more bids come in for a certain amount of time that's pre-described, maybe two minutes, three minutes of just quiet, no bidding, then they all close simultaneously. That doesn't allow the combinations, but allows people to be the high bidder on the combos that they want on two, three, and four, or 12, 13, and 14. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what, uh, what is good about it and what I really like about it. Um, because, you know, in a true multi-parcel auction, like I said earlier, I still I want to reiterate that the key to that is having professional ringmen that are working the crowd that are explaining this process to those bidders out there that they are going to be the high bidder on that combination if uh, it's pulled back or on the individuals and and online you can't explain that yeah and uh, it's tough to to do unless they're very experienced and versed in that type of process and so I think the uh, the high bid platform like you said that we use and linking those tracks together it's it's pretty simple uh you've got if you want those three tracks you got to be the high bidder and if you get out bid on one of them then you got to bid again yeah and uh you know if uh if you get out bid then that's your own fault uh you just decided not to do it and you're happy with the two that you got so corky so, in that scenario that you're talking about would would you maybe be using an online only where there's not a live event, but the, the tracks are just loaded in an online bidding platform? That's, uh, that's what I, what we use a lot of. Okay. And, you know, it, it's, um, I know you've talked about this, about uh, on that online only, but having a virtual component where mm-hmm. you're actually bid calling and there's nobody in the room, but you're just bid calling virtually and having that interaction. And I like the thought of that. And, and I think it's more because, uh, you know, we're auctioneers at heart. We like that personal interaction with the people and, and we're, we're craving that, so to speak, uh, with all of the online stuff. Now it's like, we don't get to practice our craft that we, uh, loved, but yet the downside to that is, is, uh, what about internet? What about their accessibility to high speed internet? You know, that's becoming more and more the norm than it used to be. But um, there's still people in rural areas that don't have fast Internet. And so if you're trying to bid call and have that conversation, there's such a lag time there sometimes that, you know, the bids are way on down the road and we're still back here calling a bid here. And and that lag can create problems. And when a bidder is listening and they think they have the bid and they really don't. And so those are some of the problems that I see with it. And I just wonder sometimes if is that's not our, um, just our uh, ego that we want to be a part of that and do that. And uh, we think that that's the best and the relevant thing to do. And I don't know that it always is. Well, the one thing that we have to ask ourselves is you always go back, is it good for the client? So there are Correct. scenarios like that where maybe, yes, it, it causes, I, I think that I can, in my own heart, I believe I may be able to elevate the bid by talking about the property, you know, in that, in that impulse purchase, 
uh, environment, in that decision-making process, I may be able to stimulate more competition amongst those bidders uh, if I'm if I'm a good auctioneer. You yeah. know, if I if right. I, I really in my heart believe I think I can drive the price on this. Well, that's advantageous for the seller. Yeah. Um, right. We have to make sure the protocols are in there that uh, you know we're we're very disciplined. Um, you know, and, and that audio communication, if it's delayed, that there's enough time that's clicking down that we've made that statement. Hey, Trina, you're currently in the lead. You're currently the high bidder and there's still two minutes left, you know, plenty of time for um, that, that lag time for a delayed response out there for somebody to say, oh, I guess I'm out. Trina's in the lead right now. And, yeah. you know, you have plenty of shelf life out there of that auction before it closes out that everybody gets well informed. Uh, message boards, sending out, you know, instant messages to them, instant messages that just say, you know, you're out right now. This uh, bidder number 1004 is currently in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, right. yeah, I, I think that the protocols, you know, needing to be in place. It's uh, because it is, it's important to, I, I think, a lot of auctioneers that have um, conducted live outcry auctions to not be uh, in, uh, in a performance in front of that audience. So the question should always be asked, well, is what you're trying to do in the best interest of the seller? But if you can check the box on that and it's good for the seller and it's good for the auctioneer, then maybe the pursuit is, is worth the effort. Right. No, I definitely, I definitely agree. And you've got to evaluate each situation. You've got to evaluate uh, the area that you're doing this in, um, you know, what's been the norm there. Uh, doesn't mean that something can't change and be very successful, but some areas are more uh, auction friendly than others. And so, um, you know, and, and we've all been to small communities where it's a live event and, you know, I'm a neighbor and you're a neighbor and, well, I don't want to bid against you because I don't want Sean to be mad at me. Yeah. And so it actually holds down the competitive process. And the uh, the nice thing with the online is is uh, those identities Takes those are hidden away. Yeah. Yep. Right. And so they'll bid. And I mean, we've been in. We just had a live event uh, just a week and a half ago or so, and we had a gentleman that was there in the crowd that had bid a few times, and then he quit bidding. Well, guess what? At the end of the sale, um, he wasn't the high bidder, but he was a backup. Well, he went to bidding online. He wanted the neighbors to think that he had quit. And so he was actually bidding on his phone while he was standing there in the live event because he didn't want anybody to know he was bidding. Nice. You know, and so, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, like you said, there's a lot of psychology to it and there's a lot of uh, different uh, aspects to it. And I think, again, bottom line, like we said all along, you've got to look at it, what's best for my client and that seller. Well, that's... Uh... I, I think that pretty much is a summation of this, uh, of this entire podcast show that, uh, that this episode that we just recorded is there's uh, software, there's the availability of it, there's training and education that goes with that, there's key points of differentiation from one auction company to another mm-hmm. of we do this, and, and all of that, all of that combined out there should have one 
intended purpose is apply those services and your skill sets and your experience and, and what you do in, as a profession to where it's best going to serve that client. Mm-hmm. If you'll, if you'll right. apply those services in their best interest, um, you know, as a guy told me a long time ago, he said, don't worry about the commissions. He said, go out here and he said, provide a good service to people. Um, you charge a fair rate, but he said, focus on the services, focus on making sure that you have a repeat customer out of that. And he said, believe it or not, if you stick your head up and look around, the commissions are right behind you. They're following. Uh, he said, right. you just, you, you just have to, uh, you have to focus more on that client than you do on just making money all the time. Cause if you do that, you lose sight of what's important in business. We're in the service industry. Right. And that's uh, what you've got to keep in mind. We are in a service industry and servicing our clients and uh, taking care of them, doing what's best for them. And, and, you know, and that means sometimes as a, as an auctioneer that uh, maybe you need a little bit of help. Um, Maybe you're not quite sure on a property or, you know, maybe you think that multi-par is the best thing. And so um, it's not, that you shouldn't try anything new, but, uh, if you're doing something that's totally out of your wheelhouse like that, then reach out to another auctioneer or another group that has done this before and get their input. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what we're out here for. I mean, how many times do you and I talk, Sean, about different deals? I'll call you or you'll call me and we'll hash this over. And, you know, we might, uh, you know, get Jimmy Dean's input or somebody else's and, kind of hash it around and you come up at the end of the day, well, I was thinking right or another thought process was brought up and you maybe go down that road, you know, again, what's best for your client. And that's what you got to keep in mind. Well, I just had that scenario with a commercial broker a little over a week ago um, outside of uh, Kansas city. It is a bar or brewery that has, uh, they're selling the building and they have the, uh, the brewery equipment, the, they they brewed their own beer, so the the big stainless steel vats and all of the all of the systems are in place. And they called us about selling those at auction, and I said, folks, we we can sell that for you at auction. That's not the question, but right down the road from you is a company that sells um, and liquidates restaurants, bars, and bar mm-hmm. equipment, all kinds of stainless steel equipment. They're going to have an audience for that. Yeah, they're going to they're, be that you're better. They've been yeah. doing that for years. You know, we're going to have to go out and procreate an audience. So I'm, I'm not trying to take the spoon out of my mouth. But if that was my equipment, I'm probably going to call a subject matter expert, get as much as I can for it. So uh, I, um, I, I said, how about this? You contact them, see if you can put the deal together. And if it feels right, I think they'll do a better service job for you on that than, than what I will work predominantly real estate and we do a few business liquidations stuff like that if it doesn't work out we'll be more than happy to step back in and look at it for you and well guess what i'm really telling that commercial broker that referred that over here is uh, i i care as much about your client as you do you know let's let's go out and provide uh, a good consulting and and recommend good services where do you think the commercial broker is going to turn next time that they have a client that needs to liquidate something yeah I'm not yeah, as fearful exactly. about them calling this other auction company that sells restaurant equipment as yeah. I am them calling me and saying, what do you think? You know, you, mm-hmm. you, uh, I, I trust you. Yeah. You gave yeah. me great advice right. last time. What do you got this time? Yeah. So it's that whole, yeah. 
it's that whole scarcity, you know, people just, they, they get real covetous about uh, every everything. you got to try to harvest every single thing you can get your hands on. And, and you know as well as I do, that's not always in that client's best interest. Right. Yeah, it's definitely not. You've got to, to look at that. And, and again, I can't tell you how many deals that I've turned down or passed on because uh, that just wasn't in my wheelhouse. And that doesn't mean that uh, we couldn't have done a, a good job, but uh, would that have been best for the client? And, you know, and they appreciate that because they're, they're going to come back to you um, or they're going to recommend somebody, uh, hey, they didn't do this uh, auction for me, but they gave me some really good advice and I trust them. And that's what it's about is that trust. Yeah. Quirky, uh, as always, you, um, you're great to talk to you. You are well-versed, uh, well-experienced auctioneer. We look forward to having you back on the show oh, yeah. because we, uh, maybe we dissect multi-parcel auctions in, uh, in another episode. Not that that's the only thing that you do. Uh, just so our listeners know, this guy has an illustrious career as a collector, um, Corky and, yeah, and he's his, been on the show talking about collector, collection, uh, collector auctions collections before. and yeah. him and his father used to buy collections mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he's been uh, instrumental in the route 44 museum that goes through Clinton there. And he's just, uh, just all around good guys. So we appreciate uh, you. Yeah. Route 44 would be the sonic drink. We're route 66. 66. Route 66. <laughs> I'm actually sitting here <laughs> drinking a giant drink uh, right now. Route, route 66. 66. Thank you. Get, yeah. I thought it was get your kicks on Route 44. Is that, <laughs> That's the Sonic I thought when you I thought when you started talking about this brewery and these big bats and all that uh, you were going to start brewing, you know, uh, Sean's beer or something like that. I, I, I am not afraid to sample it. I will tell you that. I, I don't want to sell the equipment. I want to see the equipment keep producing. Well, yeah. let's, just, let's just get a new brewer in Buy there. Buy the product, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ship that stuff out of state. <laughs> no, we do appreciate it. Um, Corky, thank you so much. We appreciate your insight. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for this, uh, this episode. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time inside the sale ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sale Ring.